0: Welcome to the Medal of Honor podcast, Veteran Stories of Personal Courage, Strength, and Perseverance with you, host U.S. Armed Forces Veteran, Tiffany Marttschank. Webster's Dictionary defines medal as courage, vigor, and strength of spirit or temperament. A staying quality or stamina. It is the quality of temperament or disposition. Metal refers to the mental or moral strength and courage implying firmness of mind and will in the face of danger or extreme difficulty as an ingrained capacity for meeting strain or difficulty with fortitude and resilience. Spirit also suggests a quality of temperament enabling one to
1: hold one's own or keep up one's morale when opposed or threatened. Every U.S. military service member and veteran
0: embodies these two truths of metal, that unique strength of spirit and the temperament needed to accomplish all that comes their way. Their stories are here to shed light on what life looks like in the military and veteran communities when the uniform comes off addressing issues and experiences and are still grappling with every day. These are their stories. Welcome to Season 2 of the Medal of Honor podcast with your host Tiffany martz In Episode 12, Tiffany martz talks with Dr. Teresa Larson. Dr. Teresa Larson, a.k.a. Dr. T, has become one of the healthcare and fitness world's most sought-after experts on movement health. Dr. Larson earned her doctorate in physical therapy from the University of St. Augustine in San Diego, C.A., A former Marine Corps engineer officer and combat veteran, Teresa also played professional softball in Italy as well as semi-professional softball in the United States. Teresa founded Movement Rx with her husband in 2013 in order to break free from the limitations that traditional physical therapy puts on practitioners and patients. The result was a company where skilled practitioners can authentically treat patients with the time, care, and movement education they deserve. Dr. Larson is determined to deliver movement and mindset health to as many people as possible with her team, including adaptive athletes, as she is an adaptive athlete herself. She is a motivational speaker for companies, helping individuals, and teams understand that change is possible and leadership starts within. it. She also presents on movement and mobility internationally and is the co-creator and lead instructor of the popular functional training for adaptive athletes program. She recently authored a memoir, Warrior, that was published through Harper One, an imprint of HarperCollins. In addition to her practice, wellness, and speaking efforts, Dr. Larson is a huge advocate for Challenged Athletes Foundation, Team Red, White, and Blue, a veteran nonprofit, National Eating Disorder Association, Crossroads Adaptive Athlete Alliance, and Resiliency Project. Teresa's mission is to deliver crucial information to people who need it the most. Anybody who has gone through loss, trauma, or a major change in their life needs to find their new normal again. Through Adapt Media and the My New Normal podcast, she offers stories of motivation and strength, overcoming hardship, and information on injuries from some of the top professionals and organizations in the world. She believes that our ability to optimally adapt to a new normal is a choice. As the Dalai Lama says, Beautiful things don't come without some suffering.
2: Thank you so much, Tiffany. I joined the Marine Corps after college. I did um, ROTC at Illinois University. And I joined because my, I mean, my older brother um, was a pilot in the Marine Corps, and my middle brother was with Fast Company. He's enlisted. And so I kind of got a view of both worlds, enlisted and officer, and my dad actually was in the army, and I really wanted to—I really wanted to be part of the military. I—I I just didn't. I—I I thought maybe I would do army. I got recruited by West Point. Um, I to play softball, and so the reason why I didn't choose West Point is it was just honestly it was so cold. And I was like, how am I supposed to play softball in this weather? Um, that's kind of funny, but so that ultimately. Nick, the idea of going in the Army and going to West Point. It just seemed more of a experience like a college experience. Like, I would have a college experience. I would be part of going into the Marine Corps like my brothers, which was a comfortable place for me, Um, to be honest. Like, while the Marine Corps wasn't comfortable, the thought of doing it was like, oh, I'm doing what my brothers did. And I was always the little sister who wanted to be like the boy, like the, do the Boy Scouts and... Be in their life and do what they do, and I looked up to them so much. The Marine Corps students, you know, like a better option, and I could play softball uh, at Villanova too. So, I was a Marine option in the NRTC unit, and got commissioned in 2003. Uh, and then went through, yeah, you know, I went through OCS actually in my junior year of college, and then I went through the basic school um, in 2003 when I graduated and became an engineer, so I was my, my MLS was the 1302 um, combat engineer officer, and um, was stationed at my first duty station was Camp Pendleton, um, where I was a platoon commander for an engineer platoon, and so that led me down multiple deployments, some in, you know, a couple in United States and then one abroad to Belusia. So um, that was pretty much the trajectory. I mean, it was not all sunshine and butterflies, of course. Uh, however, I got what? <laughs> it wasn't. Yeah. Oh, come no, on. No, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Definitely not all sunshine and butterflies. Uh, however, you know, I mean, I overcame like everyone, I making a choice to go in and volunteer um, you know, is a big choice and the the experience in NROTC at peace for the military, but to be honest I was a collegiate athlete playing division one softball, so I that was a priority over a lot of the NROTC training. So I got, you know, a glimpse at O C S and then the basic school was, you know, what they call the bitch slap. Which was definitely that. Um uh and just yeah, and, like, I I got to serve, I served a little shy of four years, and then I got out and continued service by service in another profession, but I loved being be a platoon commander. I had amazing Marines in my platoon and enjoyed getting to know them, and I'm still in touch with a lot of them. Um, but engineering, you know, wasn't necessarily my favorite trade, especially, I don't know, if a lot of listeners like the Marine Corps is when you get you cho- you get to choose your MLS. You have like a a wish list, but you're you don't always get your first choice. It really depends on how you graduate at base school and the needs of the Marine Corps. So you know, engineering was on my top three um, in Hawaii. Hey, I got engineering in California. Not too bad. And um, no, I didn't really it. No. <laughs> didn't spend a ton of time in California, though, once I got there and picked up my platoon. So, um, but that experience definitely made me grow up very being a Marine and Marine officer. So, you know, everything else was in support of the infantry. Um, I have to say that my job as an engineer was everything. I mean, women weren't technically allowed in combat yet, but we know that women were in combat at the time. You know, and engineers were a big part of the war and just supporting, being part of infantry units. So, um, I got to do a lot of things that a lot of my other female peers at the time didn't get to do, um, like in the field and with How their Marines and, and deployment. How was your experience so, being like a
1: one of the very few women?
2: It was not easy, but I, I, I mean, I overcame all of the, I mean, I came up against all of the adversity you could possibly think of. Um, there's the working for individuals who micromanage you, to individuals who didn't want women in the engineering field, <laughs> to Marines who would write things on, you know, walls and bathrooms about me that weren't true. You can just use your imagination, you know, and, uh, but I came, but if those are just, things I was able to overcome. I even, you know, had a guy, um, I wrote this in my book, Warrior, sexually harassed me as well. And he didn't realize that my roommate was his boss. <laughs> so he, he got his ass fired. Yeah. Um, um, but I think those things I was, I was a little, I was prepared for the adversity in a lot of ways. My brothers, um, you know, kind of, i have done a lot of training with them and talking to them about their experiences, both on the enlisted side and the officer side, and clearly my older brother was a, a pilot, so things were, his world was much different, um, and my middle brother, his life was a little bit more in line, as a Marine, in line with who I would be working with, so, you know, the, the things like the people I came up against, um, superiors of mine who were direct leaders of mine, or some who weren't, I just, you just stick up for yourself and you keep going. And, but it, it was very hard for me as a 22-year-old. Like, I internalized everything. I did stick up for myself, and I had my marine stick up for me, too. But I did internalize everything, and eventually that became a problem for me. But I still was able to push through um, and work through it and not let those people stop me. And ultimately latch on to people that were good and that supported me and that, like, you know, my Marines were, I developed a great relationship with my Marines, my, my honey, um and our uh, platoon guide. So the, the immediate family of my Marine Corps experience was great. Um, it was more just external people outside looking in, in. And, you know, as they say, as Brene Brown says, the critic, it's not the critic who counts, it's the people on the outside looking in, judging. It's
1: people in the arena.
2: So I, um, at the time, like, I didn't know that.
1: But all I knew
2: was, hey, okay, i got to do my job, and i got to latch on to people who are going to help do my job and teach me how to do it better and, like, stop listening to the people that aren't. Yeah. um, So it was definitely hard, though. I mean, as a young woman, um, again, I didn't know really how to cope with the feedback I would get. It, it, it didn't stop me, but definitely made me sick inside over time in terms of not knowing how to cope with the stress of what was going on around me. And so that eventually caught up to me. However, um, you know, I think that the military in a lot of ways and just more extreme lines of work like that really do pull out your strengths and your weaknesses. Um, And it definitely pulled out both for me. It helped me shine. It
1: also shown a light on what we are and need too. So I have a question with with something that you said, you, you know, and you made a comment. And this is a hard place I think um, I find myself in, and so do I think many other people, male or female, who experience something like that. I don't remember the, now the words, the exact word you use, but basically, as a 22 year old, you had to hold your own because that's what you do, especially as a leader. That's just that's what that's what you do when you're in the military. You hold your own. You make stuff happen because you're a leader, and that's all there is to it. And saying whatever because this is the military, mm-hmm. is still a predominantly male environment. And so, where do you draw the line and say from blowing it off and saying, "Oh, whatever," you know, that's that's just you being you, versus me saying, "Hey, no, that's not okay." Like, where do you draw that line? as you navigate
2: going through a career? I'm not, I'm going to be full disclosure, I'm not an expert in the sexual harassment or sexual assault piece. However, as a woman, um, and I, the the individual, so he, it was a, a Navy corpsman who just, we were on a mission and it was basically just words exchange that were inappropriate, very inappropriate. And, you know, my response to him was, I wouldn't touch you with a 10-foot fucking pole, so stay away from me, never come near my job site, right? And immediately called his boss, told her what was going on. She, she was able to take care of it. The thing is, though, um, I think it's important for women and men to just know how to use their voice to say no and stop. And also be okay to take it up the chain, because those kinds of, in that kind of situation, if it makes you uncomfortable, it needs to be, it, you need to be able to voice it, versus keep it in, as hard as it is, um, and, you know, I think the, the, that's a lot of times in relationships in general, communication breakdown. you know, not communicating, being passive-aggressive, um, holding it in, because you don't want to be judged, need, those considerations need to be thrown away, right? This is a professional, we're in a professional environment where men and women need to work together um, to make things, to help the mission be accomplished. And if someone is being inappropriate, that needs to come to life both with the person in that interaction as well as, you know, making sure that um, the proper repercussions that happen to the person or it goes up the chain, whatever even in, a, in in a corporation. So I don't I'm obviously don't work in a company. Any kind of sexual harassment, sexual assault is not okay at all. Um, and sometimes, you know, there's I know it's such a, certain friends of mine they didn't have the choice, right? It was an assault, like in a full-on assault. That wasn't the case for me, but a full-on assault, like that as hard as it is to want to hold that in and not be with it because that is ultimately what's happen when you bring it to light or you can be judged. It needs to come to light for things to change for both you and if you're... And I would say if your leader, right, doesn't believe you or want to believe you or want to pay attention to the really... She or he is a bad leader, they need to find one that will listen. Um, and, you know, I'm saying that from the outside in not having been through the thought myself. Um, however, I just we women and men need to be able to use their voice for without consideration of what people will think of them. Um, and that's my, that's the big one there. Like, like it kind of comes down to even simple communication skills in general, when you want to tell someone you care about them or you love them, or I don't know if they're going to like me or I've been a little over whatever, just fill out those considerations and tell the person you love that, or you care without even considering what they're going to think. It's not your job to care what they think. The job is to be you. Yeah, I totally agree. And,
1: yeah, I mean, I, would, I guess I wasn't asking – when I asked that, I wasn't really asking for an expert opinion, but just, you know, your own personal opinion, and it's exactly what you said, and that can be um, difficult many times, too. Um, I know yeah. for, I mean. I, and I won't even get into mine because this is this episode is not you, not me, but I will say you hit on something that is very true, is that while my experience was a difficult one, um, that day was a bad day. What was worse for me was the process the day after. Uh from yeah. the day after on of having to grapple with do I file a report or do I not? Was this my yes. fault, or and did I ask for it, or did I, or is it legitimately a, a complaint that I did not ask for? So it is right. it is something hard to grapple with, and it is something that um, that person who had that negative experience, whether it's you know inappropriate touching or inappropriate comments or a full blown like rape type of thing, if if somebody experiences something like that, um, it does need to be addressed, whether and. and and I think it can be addressed even in the, you know, as, as keeping, like we'd like to do in the military, keeping things at the lowest level and just going to that person's supervisor or your own supervisor and saying, hey, look, this just happened and it's not okay. Um, Because yes. otherwise you, you, I mean, because I, I, I am a fan of keeping things at the lowest level, but it needs to be, they, that needs to be brought to somebody's attention at some yeah. point in time.
2: Oh, and yeah, that and, and I, I, one of my women, female Marines, um, before we deployed, she was, you know, um, she was dealing with some of her own stuff in this area, in, in this arena. And I, uh, I just, like, it was, it was very hard for her to, to relive it. Like, it, it happened, um, not immediate it wasn't like an acute thing that just happened but of course just like any injury acute flare-ups happen because of memories in pts pts and um it it took her out like it took her out of the deployment it took her out completely and uh it just you know i i can't speak to the psychology of what goes on in that situation all i know is that there is power in in, and this kind of goes into some of the personal development stuff that I've done, and where women have been in groups I've been in who have been sexually abused and raped. Um, where there comes, I mean, the, being able to speak up and, and whoever, you know, whoever, um, being able to speak up about it. So that person is released, or, you know, something happened where that person isn't allowed to be around people, hurt people. Like he or she did. Uh, I, I know that in this, so sort of personal development course I did was called Landmark. And for some, you know, it, it's got a different, it depends on who you hear it from, but it's, I think it's a very power, it was a very powerful course I did a number of years ago. Um, but in this course, they talk a lot about, um, the power of letting go of a story and just sticking to facts. And the reason for that is, to let go of what you make it mean about you, if that makes sense. So, like, if you were raped, for example, or you had an, you were abused. Okay, that is a fact. That happened on said dates by said person. Um, but it doesn't make you. What it make, what it can make you mean is you're less of a person, or it it can make mean, You can make it mean a lot of things. And that's where the healing can happen is they're letting go of what it means. It just, this is what happened. It's not okay. Oh, you're still a human being, an amazing human being. No one deserves that. And your life is still worthy. And that, uh, so it's really important to reframe the story. And that's a big part of healing. And again, as I'm not a psychologist, but for my own journey, um, and things I've been through and losses and love and relationships and stuff, like, reframing the story, right? I'm a human being and I, loss is one of the hardest things for me. And I've done some crazy shit when I've lost people. And I've made it mean that I'm a bad person at times, and I'm not. I'm a human being who struggles with loss. And it gets, you know, time changes that. But I know that I'm a worthy human being. I'm a good enough human being. So, Boom. That's what's up.
1: It it, it is. And that is something that that you have to, you know, well, say you. I I know I had to grapple with is it Mm -hmm. impacting my self-worth. And so it is important that a person know that somebody else's actions or inactions towards me does not define who I am. It defines who they are my actions and inactions define who I am. Um, and yes. it, it's hard to grapple with that a lot.
2: Um, but it is it's a journey. It's a daily, it's a daily decision. I mean, we all want to be loved and cared and for, and you know, um, we all have our own filters that we're seeing through, you know? And, um, I think that, you know, my father always had a really good way of saying things like you, Treat people like they they are struggling. You know, be kind. Like, you never know. If someone doesn't respond to you or fax back to you or treat you as kindly, let's say, as you've hoped, maybe something's going on that you don't know about, right? And just be kind back. Like, it doesn't need, mean for, that something's wrong with you. It just means something's probably going on in their life, so just treat them kindly. Are you okay? Can I help? Like... You know, versus being like WTF. Yeah. Which is what can happen. And for those who don't know,
1: WTF that's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. No I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so yeah, um and I'm sure we could spend like forever talking about this. I mean, I I know I could because yeah. I've gotten to a sure. point where I've gotten to a point where now like I want to talk about it and I want to share my experience because there might be somebody out there who's experienced something similar to you or something similar to me and they feel like they they don't have anybody to talk to. Um yeah. So and, and 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 even to uh, the point that you made men and women experience these things it's not solely men doing something to women.
2: Um, oh yeah, it's I can give up. And yeah, I, I mean, it's it, again, it's, um, I think maybe a really good distinction for those listening are, you know, um, just separating the story from the facts. I, uh, it's, we talked about this in the veteran clubhouse, um, the other day. And you know, it was keeping that, keeping, keeping just kind of even journaling about it is helpful. I, like, I think even writing my book was a very clear way of separating the story from the facts, in a way. You know, there was the facts I wrote about, but then what I made it mean, and I shared that, actually, in my book, and to this day, I mean, there's still memories that pop up that are uncomfortable, but kind of like, you know, um, when you open up a fizzy water or a can of soda, which I actually don't drink a lot of soda, but let's say you open it up and it fizzes out, right? Some of those memories and triggers can be like that. They'll fizz and then they'll calm. And you just learn to let them be. They're there, they're part of you, but they don't have to define you. So we can get to that fizzy soda
1: that you do not drink (laughs) for, I'm sure, reasons (laughs) why you can definitely explain... To someone like me who needs to hear something like that, so you're an engineer in the Marine Corps, and then at some point in time you decided it's been real, it's been fun. I need to move on. What did that transition for you look like?
2: Well, on the like, on the happy side of it, I I needed, I wanted to go in the medical profession. I knew that my my mother had passed away from breast cancer when I was young, so I was like, I want to do something in medicine and or fitness and so physical therapy became the thing for me it kind of bridged the gap between the two um in terms of professions and i'm not a traditional pt so if you've ever if anyone listening has been to a pt i i don't most of the work i do is on the preventative side proactive movement mindset that type stuff but i made that point though while i was playing softball in italy of all places, the, the world of food, um, and I played, a, I played a year, played a season of professional softball in Italy. I'd done pretty well in college in softball, and so when I got out of the Marine Corps, one of my friends played on the Italian Olympic team, and she um, is American, but she's American-Italian, and she was like, hey, are you still, would you like to play um, softball? Because you have a good record, and typically the professional league overseas would like, look at your records and you know choose you based on that. She's like, it's the worst team in Italy, but you'd be in Italy. So I was like, that's what's up. (laughs) I I was like, okay, sure. Like, no problem. And so that while I was in Italy, I broke my foot, still had to pitch, broke my toe, I should say. Still needed to pitch. I was a pitcher. We were horrible. Like, we didn't play. We like lost our, our, we were like the last in the league. Um, But I decided, okay, I'm going to do PT. And then when I got back from Italy, uh, this was in the 2008 time frame. I went to to get my prereqs for PT school at like an inner city, an inner city community college in LA. So, um, and I and there I was going to school. You know, I'm like a I don't know, 28 year old now with 19 year olds taking chemistry and physics. You know, and I made some great friends um, during this time. So this is the, 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 positive side, the, not the positive side I was I did it a kind of a douchebag? and, um, uh, no, not kind of was, and <laughs> story, it's a story, a man that had his own stuff, um, that he wasn't dealing with. And I also was really struggling with my eating disorder. So I had an eating disorder called bulimia and, um, I was going through the transition and what it made it, what I made it mean. I made it and made it mean I wasn't a good person. I was overweight. That's what I felt. I told myself, um, I told myself all kinds of things. And so that's the the, the dark side of my transition like figuring out know, who am I now that I'm not in the Marine Corps and I have this eating disorder and I have this D-bag, you know, boyfriend, um, what am I gonna do? You know, and and let alone my, uh, fa- you know, family and friends who are like, okay, what's going on with you? Like, you have an eating disorder? Like, you can't go out to eat? <laughs> like, so, again, like, a lot of society doesn't understand what eating disorders are. And another addiction. But that was the dark side. So there's a light side and a dark side. And, um, yeah, but the, but the thing that kept me going was, well, my father was alive at the time. My mother was not. But she always would say, like, stay close to your faith and life has to go on you just keep putting one foot in front of the other and you just attach yourself to people who are are good people and so I over time I let go of the boyfriend I started taking my prereqs, even though I was you know going to school in the middle of LA like I don't like cities I don't like lots of people so I'm in LA <laughs> You know... but Of I kept, all places to be in I know, LA. I know. Yeah, and so I just kept going, though. Um, I dated a guy who was like... You, you know, talk about relationships um, after the, the D-bag. Another one who was like, you know, you really... Sh- you know, PT might not be for you. And PT might be super boring for you. I wouldn't recommend it. And I think that as uh, as a woman, you should just want to have children. You know, and again... I had to like decipher what that meant. Like, am I, am I, what am I getting into? Should I just have children? Should I, like, who am I? And again, all of this is going on in my twenties. And, um, of course, thankfully, you know, I came to and was like, another not so good relationship. Let that one go. Keep moving forward. Keep taking classes. But I, I, I stayed close to, um, good people in my life. My best friends from college, I had a couple of really good girlfriends who were like sisters who kept just supporting me on my decision to go to PT school and finish my schoolwork before I made any other decisions, including my father. And so it was just having those, that circle, that inner circle of people who know me and just, you know, a few people that I could count on one hand that just said, keep going, keep going. And so over time, you know, I learned how to transition out of a bad relationship and what would a good relationship look like for me and what would a good relationship look like for me with food and other people and, um, you know, this profession, what is this profession going to look like for me and what gets me excited about it? What doesn't get me excited about it? So I, I started to just like grow up, like really grow up, um, and really come to like learn to love myself over time, which is a day. It's a daily decision. Versus make a bad relationship or multiple bad relationships mean that I'm just, I'm not good enough. Or, gosh, maybe I'm just, like, meant to be in a bad relationship. Maybe I just gotta, like, maybe I just gotta, um, what do they call it? Um, man, I've lost for words here. Um, I'd help you out, but anyways, I'm not quite sure what we're searching for. I know! <laughs> 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 it's okay. Um, I, settle, settle. Great, right? just. I guess I'm just meant to be a D bag. But again, these men weren't, men or women weren't um, D bags. They just, I call them that because that's the way it felt at the time. And I know everyone can probably relate to a relationship that wasn't so great, but they just weren't good for me. And I had to learn how to be okay on my own and love myself on my own with the journey that I was on and really own it. And that took me some time. That took me into my 30s. I did get into a doctorate program for physical therapy, um, which was great. And that kind of set me on a trajectory of, okay, now I'm going to have a degree and a profession that will support me um, and that I could do anywhere. Like my whole mission and vision was like, I want to help people no matter where I am in the world. And um, so that, you know, what kept me... Kept me going, and I um, ended up meeting my husband uh, right before PT school, and he went on the journey of grad school with me <laughs> to the degree he could. But it was really a time for me to just and like really get to know me and what I wanted, and explore the areas of PT that I wanted to be in. And I met a man who just accepted me for me too, and it felt right. I never thought I after some not-so-great relationships. I was like, how are you going to know if someone's going to be right for you for the rest of your life? Well, you know. <laughs> I knew. Um, and it was it's been, we've been married for eight years and he's um, I'm in love with him more and more uh, each year, so
1: yeah. I think that's awesome because I asked I mean, I've never been married and I remember asking somebody two people that I, that I trusted and just said, hey, how did you know that it was time for you to get out in the military? And they said, well, you just know. I'm like, okay, but how do you just know? And they said, yeah. "Well, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, um, you know, being married. You just know that that guy is the one. And I said, okay, but, um, I've never been married. I don't know what that's like. <laughs> I haven't found yeah. that one yet, but that is awesome. That is what I hear that. You know, even though I don't know from experience, I do hear that, that you meet somebody. And no matter what your past relationships have been like, there's something about that person that you just know this is the guy that I want to... This is my best friend that I want to spend the rest of my life with. And I think tying that to something else that you said um, during the transition... <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> during the transition of getting out the military, <coughs> you had people say... Well, shouldn't you just stay home and and be, go home and make babies? That's all you need to do. <laughs> um, yeah, be a wife. But there's something special about that person that comes up and supports you for who you are, <clears throat> who you are, and supports you in doing what it is that you want to do, whether it's being a physical therapist like you or whatever else that thing is next. And so, I think having those people, you know, you know the the word now. Yeah, I, yeah. I would say having those people in your corner, but people—the term that we use a lot now—is having that tribe and those people that you belong to. You belong to them; they belong to you.
2: And it's just a yes. just team that supports you no matter what. Yep. Um, well, that's that's important, and you build that over time. Like I, anyone listening, I would say you know be patient with it. It is a process. Like I am someone who wants things tomorrow, but eventually you just it's that's not gonna happen when you run a business um when you're when you're on a journey of self-discovery and you're just getting like living your life like it's a process and that's all i can say is you just got to go with that discomfort and the comfort of it all i
1: think for me one of the things that i found myself saying and doing was Setting myself up to be hurt. Not that I wanted to get hurt, but setting myself up to have that willingness to open up to people. That meant that if I want to open myself up to build those real, genuine relationships, that I'm also opening myself up to be hurt, and I have to be willing to do that. And the moment I actually decided to do that was so powerful. Did, have I gotten yeah. hurt since I've done that? Absolutely. I've gotten hurt plenty of times. And I will still get hurt by other people because people are people. But the good relationships and the good friendships um that I have developed over time since yes. I did that has been well worth the times that I've gotten
2: hurt. Um Because yeah. it, it, it's key. Yeah. And that's, and that's a really good point. You know, I think Brene Brown talks about that in the book. I have only read a couple of her books, uh, Daring Greatly and The the Rising Strong, but there is a component of in her work and research of like, even if you're in a loving relationship, there's going to be hurt. You know, my husband and I, good friends of mine, we've hurt each other. And again, it goes back to communication of like, Hey, this being able to say this hurt me. And you know, you're, that's like part of really living and being open to sharing that. You're, like, really living when you put your heart and soul out there. And there's so much rejection that can happen in the business world, the the media world, everything. And, but you just, that, that's, it's hard, but it can't affect who you are. Um, And who you are is someone living your life out loud. Just because someone says no doesn't mean the next person's going to say that. Or just because someone hurts you and you say, ah, that made me feel this way. Maybe they'll listen, maybe they won't, but you know who's a good friend after that. Until yeah. so you just learn, like, the boundaries over time. Uh-huh, I agree. Um, so, <clears throat> before we run out of time,
1: there's a couple things that I'd love to um, to touch on with you as well. And those things are your, your uh, company that you started, the Movement Rx and what that's about and this book that you keep on talking about that you wrote. I mean, you learn something every day. I, I don't know if I, I... may have known that you wrote a book. I may not have. I don't remember. <laughs> so I'd love to hear about this book and this Movement
2: Rx. Um. Well, so I started Movement Rx about six months when I graduated from physical therapy school after I got my doctorate. So I just realized traditional PT wasn't for me. Um... So movement RX is a human performance company. We do defense, some defense contracting. Um, we work a little bit with the VA and we do, um, we run individual programs. Like one right now we're running is, um, the mindful 21 day mindfulness experience, which gives people an idea, like how to improve their movement, how to improve the way they eat. There's meditation piece to it. Um, there's, there's just, a lot of different like pieces of wellness integrated into it, giving people the how and the why. Um, the so that's been the um, you know my company what it looked like you know seven years ago when we started it versus now is it looks completely different. Right, I have we do have see individual patients, but most of it's um, group work and online programming and trying to meet people where they're at, especially during this blended environment kind of time, um, where people are really looking for tribe and connection within companies and individuals. So that's been great. My husband and I run it together and we have a team of about 10 individuals who uh, are coaches and support of the company. Um, and then I wrote a book four years ago. It's my memoir called warrior. It was published through Harper Collins and it's my come to a wellness story, um, how I overcame my eating disorder and just, you know, growing up with, out of mother, which you can relate to, and just being a perfectionist and trying not to know anything was wrong when deep down, I was really struggling. And it goes into a little bit of what I do to this day, uh, working with um, those who have major injuries, minor injuries, all kinds of injuries, helping them find their new normal. Um, so yeah, it was a powerful experience and, you know, I think if anyone is dealing with an addiction, can probably relate to the story to a degree. There's a lot of humor in it, but there's a lot of like real life in your face kind of stories too. Um, and not just veterans, I think more than, you know, veterans will relate to it, but I think just people in general who are, um, self-aware, who are like, oh yeah, you know, I... I definitely have a issue with my relationship with food or alcohol or yeah, I don't cope well with said when things happen. Like I think they could probably relate to my story to a degree. So um, yeah, it was a powerful time and it's been a powerful time. It's been a powerful thing to talk about and I'm proud of it. And I definitely will write another book, uh, probably not a memoir, but like a more about running a business, a non-traditional health profession business um, during a pandemic. So that might be my next book with John, maybe we'll see. Yeah. And now I have to say,
1: not only do I look up to you because you're like a foot taller than me, but now I can say, I look up to you because I think you're doing amazing stuff. I really do. I think taking, Uh, thank you, Tiffany. Yeah. I mean, well, I, because this is what I think is key. I think, What's key in, to do, in doing something successful is when you do like what you've done, and you've taken your junk, you've taken your story and your past experiences and you've turned it into something good. you took turned it into going into a field that you want to go into because you, like you said, you lost your mother to breast cancer, you had an eating disorder, and you've had some not-so-good relationships, and you took all that junk and, and said, you know what, I'm going to do something good with it. And, and turn that junk into something good. So I think that's what's... I think those stories, I feel like, are the best stories. The ones where people have said, hey, I can't change what have, has happened to me or decisions that I have made in my past because I made them in the past, but I'm going to do something with the results now. And I think that's
2: what you're yeah. doing. I, I think it's great. Thank you, Tiffany. It's It's been powerful. I mean, it's been, you know, a lot of heart a lot of hardship. Um, I think we all go through hardship and I think I've just really sought out getting the help I need. I think if anyone can take anything from this is that you're not gonna go alone, like try to get help. Be around people who build you up, who challenge you, um, who love you. Um, you know, I've I've gotten in business relationships that aren't so healthy. They seem that way initially, and then I realized, ah, oh, not so great, but that's just part of life, it's part of running a business. Um, and doesn't mean anything about me. It means I'm just putting myself out there, like you said, me get hurt. And that's okay. It doesn't mean you have to stop or change everything. It just means you're doing things right because you're living. <laughs> um, yeah. and that, I think that's one of the best distinctions. Um, that life is right now and the past is the past and the future is the future. But all I can do is be present right now with you.
1: And see, you know, this is the other thing that, that, um, that I, that I'm learning in just this conversation. And that is, that there is hope on the other side. Because for me, you were talking about how you were learning things in your 20s and 30s, um, about your identity, who you are, and just taking a stand for what it is that you want to do or what you believe in. I'm in my mid-40s, and I'm still trying to figure that out for me. <clears throat> I'm trying to I'm trying to learn that. And I, and it, it, you're right, it is a process. And I have to be willing to walk that process, excuse me, walk that process, go through that process and walk that road and that journey to get to where I want to be. Because if I don't, then I'm just going to live in the past Looking at a person's tombstone, when you have that definitive start date and end date, but it's that start date and end date um, that doesn't matter. It's that dash between those dates that matter. And if I spend yep. that dash of my life reflecting on and regretting decisions and then reliving those things, that's insanity and, and I can't live like that. I, I think it's good to reflect on those things and learn from them. But I have to be willing to let go of it and move forward.
2: And that can be the most difficult thing sometimes. Yeah, agreed. Um, it can be, and it's that's where the work in life happens, though. Like, I think that those difficult experiences that you just don't want to think about, gotta, gotta just go through the waves that happen, gotta go through the waves of emotions that come up and let them go. And just, like, continue to ride the waves because those waves will get less and less over time. But if you're constantly trying to say, God, what the what the f, why is this still coming up? Or why is this happening? It's, that's, that's not going to help. You just got to be with it, be present to it. Yes. <laughs>
1: Have a nice day. Thank you, and have a nice day.